three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, we're going to break down the Bears-Packers game in just a second, talk about why the Bears lost, plus... Friend of interview today with Billy Wagner, seven-time MLB All-Star, and currently on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. We get into it about his Baseball Hall of Fame case, his career, his coaching career, and so much more. It's a great exclusive interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglou. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this. Were you, in fact, surprised with what happened. We did the stream on Sunday, and everybody was freaking out. The Bears were winning by 10. It was exciting, but a couple of you, including myself, knew what was probably going to happen. You can never be too safe with the lead for the Bears, especially this year when they're actively trying to lose and tank. And sure enough, when you're facing Aaron Rodgers, even a depleted Aaron Rodgers and a depleted Packers team. I was pretty upset with the end result, but I know there's going to be good that comes from it. I was very upset at first with how Justin Fields played the last two minutes of the game. I mean, two picks in two minutes. The Bears had two chances to drive downfield and score. Sure enough, it didn't work out. One of those picks was on EQ St. Brown. The other was on Fields, clearly. But I guess I'm just a little bit disappointed that the Bears blew another lead. Not trying to rant, I know that this Bears team is actively losing, actively tanking, trying to get that second overall pick. They are really doing a good job of it, I have to say, because people like me are still a little bit frustrated. Now, everybody's looking towards the future, which I get. going to be a very bright future. Justin Fields, besides the two picks, played exceptional yesterday, had a ton of great plays, very accurate, surprisingly, and 257 passing yards. All those numbers are amazing outstanding. We do see growth, and that's great. I think one thing he does need to work on, though, and this is not controversial, he needs to find a way to win games or at least keep the Bears in games inside two minutes in the fourth quarter. I know it was hurt against the Falcons, but he threw that pick. He threw two picks in two minutes yesterday. This is going to come with time. This is going to come with learning, and learning as a team how to win, learning as a team how to execute, understanding what a winning culture means. But it's certainly frustrating to see this amazing QB just not have the weapons and not have the experience yet to win games inside two minutes. 
Uh, per the review, the EQ St. Brown interception was on St. Brown, which I'm not surprised. So before the season, the Bears should not have even signed him. And a lot of people said, oh, he could turn it around, but his career high for receiving yards in a season, 98. Last year with the Packers, he got there. Bears have the wrong St. Brown. <laughs> they got the bum St. Brown. When everybody says he's such a good blocker and that's the reason why he should be on the field, that should be red flag number one. And I'll tell you, Bears of a bind out, I would not be surprised if there were serious talks and considerations to cut him. The only thing that might help him stay on this team through the end of this year is that the Bears are already decimated at wide receiver. But I'll tell you, if I were Justin Fields, I would never throw to him again. Why would you? Him on the line inside two minutes, trying to drive downfield and really rally a, a big win against the Packers and you target St. Brown and he can't make a cut and the ball's picked off. Just like Amir Smith-Marchant and St. Brown dropped that fourth down ball a couple of weeks ago too. That went right through his hands and hit off of them. He's made a lot of mistakes that for some reason the Bears have accepted. You know, Amir Smith-Marchant, not saying he was great, but he made two mistakes, cut. Dave Brown's made many more than two. Why is his ass not on the street? Fair question. Don't know why. Don't understand why. But I think at some point he will face that wrath, whether it be after this buy or just after the season anyway. He is not going to be a part of the Bears' future plans, and he shouldn't be. So that was frustrating. And I think with better weapons and better infrastructure, just a better team, this stuff won't be happening as much. But... It was a tough way to end that game because the Bears were winning again. And please don't take this as hatred or hating on this team, but I think it's worth having a conversation about the fact that the Bears, in a lot of these games, are winning by double digits and blowing leads. And this goes back to the importance of learning how to win and implementing a winning culture, implementing a new culture, learning how to close games as a team. This is a learning experience, obviously, because the Bears have not mastered it. They can't even do, do it once. That's a problem, but I think it's worth having that conversation. And this is not me hating. It's just the truth. The Bears have been in so many games. They've been winning a lot of these games that they're now losing. They're up by 10. They're up by 15, 17 points, and they're blowing games, and that's not okay. I know they're tanking, and I know that they're going to have a great draft position, but I just want to say, and I want to caution everybody, including this Bears team, you got to learn how to win at some point. You brought in a new coach and a new GM to instill that culture. My hope is that come next year, these patterns from this year will be taken away. Right now, the Bears are winning lots of games or winning during lots of games then blowing it late. That's not a pattern or a circumstance you want to keep repeating. But it has been, and I have a feeling it will throughout the rest of this season too. One thing I do want to say is the Bears' defense, I thought, played outstanding. Uh... Had a couple of guys hurt. Secondary was decimated, and yet they held Aaron Rodgers to 182 yards. That's a great job. That's a phenomenal job when you don't have any of your starting secondary out there, essentially. Brisker and Gordon were inactive. Kendall Bildor, who isn't even good, was inactive. You were on your third, fourth string guys out there. They played very well. The Bears' run defense, not so good, but, you know, what are you going to do? Bears' run defense hasn't been good all year. And this is not surprising. First time the Bears faced the Packers, it was Aaron Jones who ran wild. This time it was A.J. Dillon. Jones really did nothing, but Dillon ran for 93 in a touchdown and averaged five yards per carry. 
But the Bears' defense held up their end of the bargain to me. Giving up 28 points to the Packers seems like a lot, but for the majority of the game, the Bears had them in check really till the fourth quarter. And the Packers scored 18 unanswered in one quarter, and that's the reason why the Bears lost. That's a defensive issue, then the Bears scored nothing in the fourth quarter in general. Offensive issue, this Bears team knows how to play for two or three quarters every game. The Bears won the first quarter, and they won the third quarter, but lost quarters two and four. That proved to be the difference, especially quarter four. And that's the encouraging thing. So we see good things at times from this Bears team. We see them winning a couple of quarters and beating good teams, winning against good teams, winning handily against good teams. But for some reason, that fourth quarter always comes back to bite them. Of course, they're rebuilding, and they're a young team, and they're not expected to win. But it is frustrating. It is tough to watch at times. You want them to learn how to win games, how to execute game plans late in games. And unfortunately, that's one thing. If there's one thing the Bears have not grown with or have not improved upon all year, it's learning how to close games in the fourth quarter. All year long, it's been a problem, and they're going to have to really shore that up come next year if they want to be a wild card team or be a playoff team. Bears' run game was a packed team. David Montgomery, 61 yards. Justin Fields, 71 of the touchdown. And Montgomery, a touchdown himself. Even Evans adding 21 of his own. Bears run game's always been there. Bears have the number one rushing offense in football, and it continues to hold up, which is impressive. A credit there to Luke Getze. I mean, Getze may not be perfect, and that play calling in the fourth quarter was suspicious at best, but statistically speaking, the Bears have the best run game in the NFL. And they're one of the worst teams in the NFL, You have to give them credit where it's due and give Getsy credits on that front. The Bears' run game looked great. But, again, we go back to the wide receiving, although Cole Command and EQ St. Brown and even Akeel Harry showing up and making a big catch. Statistically, they had good games. But I really think EQ St. Brown needs to go. I would rather play Akeel Harry over EQ St. Brown. I mean, it's really not a big statement to make. They both suck. But Akeel Harry made a great catch yesterday. Great play. Former first-round pick, trying to reinvent his career, rebuild it. He has a little bit more to play for and could probably do a little bit more physically and talent-wise compared to EQ St. Brown. I would not be opposed to the Bears cutting him, and I think after that interception in crunch time, where I think it's really a 50-50 blame of Fields and EQ St. Brown, somebody needs to go, and somebody needs to be held accountable. Fields threw that ball relatively well. EQ, it's on him to... Move up. Make the cut and turn around and make the play. Jair Alexander, who had the interception, said, I knew it was coming. Well, that's a scary thing to say and a scary thing to hear a defensive player say. I knew it was coming. So not only did the Bears' play call not work, but then on top of it, EQ St. Brown didn't do a good enough job there. He knew it was coming. So he knew. And EQ did nothing to make an adjustment or to try and cut harder and make that catch and avoid the interception. Just let it happen. And it really hurt the Bears. These are things that need to be changed, and they will over time. I think the one positive you can glean, too, is this roster will not be the same next year. I think a lot of players that we see today that we're talking about right now are going to be cut or released or traded in some capacity. 
St. Brown will not be back next year, and nor, nor should he be. Nikhil Harry may not be back this year, even after that great play. A lot of guys, like even Bennis Jones Jr., he's already on thin ice. Um, Cole Komet, potentially. David Montgomery, we don't know. I mean, there are tons of guys who may not be with this team. Defensively, too. Nicholas Morrow's been a disappointment. People in the secondary have not performed. The Bears are going to go out, I would hope, and spend some real money on things they need, and on top of it, draft smartly. With that number two pick and potentially more, they trade back. Defensively, big shout-out once more to Jack Sanborn, who continues to cement himself as a real option for the Bears next year. I think he's done enough to earn a spot on next year's team, if not start. How about that? A cheap replacement for Roquan Smith. Everybody going crazy about Roquan Smith. Bears need to keep him, and yet they find somebody who's undrafted for minimal money, and they trade Roquan, who's a team cancer, off the field. That was a great move by Ryan Foles. He's not been perfect. There have been some real stinkers. But that decision has paid many dividends for the Bears so far. No more contract headaches. No more holdouts and in-season quotes, cryptic quotes and messages. Nope, you ship him out, pay him no money, bring in an undrafted guy, next man up, and he succeeds and he thrives on this defense. Impressive, to say the least. There are always positives during some of these games, even these heartbreaking losses for the Bears, and that's good. I mean, it's a rebuilding team. Selfishly, though, I want to see more than what we saw. I guess I'm having trouble justifying giving up 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. 18, actually. That's where I stand. There were a lot of encouraging things. There are every week, it seems like. Justin Fields continues to build, even though inside two minutes he had the two picks. But other than those last two minutes, he was great. Very good game. Really the highest-rated quarterback even in PFF this week, and they're not always perfect either, but good rating. Fields played well, statistically, despite the two picks. Fields looked better. Fields played more comfortable, made a couple of deep passes, had a big run for a touchdown. That was encouraging. There were good things we saw, and I think really at this point, Fields is the guy. He will be the guy next year for the Bears and probably moving forward. And that's great. That was the whole point of this season. So the Bears have already completed their objective on the year. Is Justin Fields our starting quarterback? A definite hell yes. That's great. We move on. But if we want to dig further, then, oh, it's a rebuild year. We excuse everything. We can start talking about the real issues on this team. Giving up 18 unanswered in the fourth quarter to the Packers when you were dominating, not good. And, you know, the tanking argument's fine. If that's really what they're trying to do, that's okay. But I would just say, and I would caution the Bears and everybody, Better hope these patterns don't stay with them come next year. One more thing, too. Cairo Santos probably needs competition. He gave up four points. Or I should say he left four points on the board. I've not been happy with recent performances from him. Whether it be him playing into the tanking or just him being ineffective, either way, I think his performance has warranted the Bears to bring in some sort of competition this offseason, whether it be an undrafted guy, drafted guy, or a veteran kicker. Bring somebody in and make them compete. Because I was not happy with how he did yesterday either. And had he made a field goal and the extra point, maybe the Bears would have won that game. Maybe the game could have went completely different. The ineffectiveness on his part is also a cause for concern. So, yes, I'm happy the Bears have found out who Justin Fields is 
that was the objective of the entire season. But I will say, giving up 18 unanswered, not cool. They need to learn how to win games as a team, how to close games as a team, and how to execute. That'll come with time. That'll come with a better roster and better players. But remember, it still falls on Matt Eberflus, still falls on this coaching staff to implement those policies for next year. The rest of this season is probably going to be a complete barn burner. I mean, I don't expect much from this Bears team. I don't know if they're going to win one more game. They'll be in games, and it might be fun to watch with Justin Fields, but I don't know if they're going to win one more game, which is sad. They're doing it for the tank. That's commendable, at least for now. We'll see how it works out. But I would just caution everybody, you're rooting for a tank, and that's fine. But I would just say, come next year, when the Bears are supposed to be good, don't be mad if they can't close games or execute inside two minutes. Now, part of this season is developing Justin Fields. Well, developing him would also mean seeing some two-minute warning, two-minute drill traits get better. And if there's one thing I could criticize about his game, it's that his two-minute game is weak. The Bears' two-minute game is weak. Not just his, everybody on this team, their two-minute game is weak and it needs improvement. I would hope by next year we see something better. I would also hope, obviously, defensively, the Bears could stop blowing leads in the fourth quarter mainly. The Bears are a great first-half team, even a great three-quarter team. But that fourth quarter, every single time, seems to really hurt them. These are things that just need to be considered and need to be applied to our mindset when we evaluate this Bears team. There's a lot to like. We know Justin Fields is QB1. We know Justin Fields is a productive quarterback whose broken records will continue to break records and will continue to be the Bears' starting guy moving forward. That's great. There are other things on this team that need correcting. And by the way, it's everywhere, not just defense, not just no players, not just tanking. There are real problems that need to be corrected. I would hope the Bears implement changes for next year. They need to learn how to perform inside two minutes, though. I mean, that's key. Not for now, but for week one next season, we cannot be seeing 18 unanswered points given up in the fourth quarter. Then everybody's saying, well, it's tanking again. And who cares? Well, you can't say who cares to 18 points given up unanswered in the fourth quarter when you were dominating for the first three. How do you make that change? What changes in your philosophy after three quarters of winning to then blowing a whole game in the fourth quarter giving up 18 points? That's the part that puzzles me. And that's the part that scares me a bit. We need to see better and hopefully we will next year. But for right now, something to keep in mind. See, everybody's telling you everything's fine. And probably is. Who knows? But is this record fine? Are these performances in the fourth quarter fine? I don't think so. Hey, this is not a team going 12-5 and five and winning the division, and they're going to be a Super Bowl team. This is not the Chiefs where you can actually say everything's fine. Eagles, everything's fine. You lose a game here and there. I mean, you're not going to be perfect. You move on. The Bears, though, they're at the bottom of the league. Everything's not fine. And while we may know what improvements need to be made, and that's great, will the Bears implement them, and will they make serious changes? That's what we have to wait and see. That's what we have to anticipate and hope for. But I just caution everybody, when you say everything's fine, or when you say, well, 
Even Justin Fields is perfect. Nobody's perfect on this team, including the coaches, including Justin Fields. And there are serious issues that everybody, including Fields, needs to work on. Everybody across the board, somebody has to be working on something. You could pinpoint every player and say, he's weak at this, he's weak at that. That's my parting message. Do not say everything's fine and everything's perfect when this team's 3-10. and When they just gave up 18 unanswered to the Packers in the fourth quarter in a game that the Bears should have won. That's the thing. I'm okay with saying there's improvement, there's progress, and this team will be much different next year. But as of right now, I mean that everything's perfect and the Bears are fine and everything's great. That's not fully true. Please be cautious. And please think for yourself. And please understand that this is a results-based league. That although everybody has low expectations for this team, including myself, there are things that need to be worked on. Things that need to be improved upon. That's the big thing and the big lesson that I'll take away from this game and for the rest of this season for this Bears team. They need to improve. They need to get better. If we don't see progress, that's a time for real concern and potential real issues for them moving forward. Motor County on Sports Talk Chicago. My exclusive interview with Billy Wagner comes up next. So stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Every chance of glory to be a back end by name for today's special guest. He's a seven time All Star, current baseball Hall of Fame candidate, and the head baseball coach at the Miller School. Please welcome Billy Wagner to the program. Billy, it's great to have you on. How are you? Great, John. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you back with us. Uh, how was coaching so far this past season, first off? Well, going well. You know, every year's a new year in high school. You know, some kids, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, you deal with a lot of you – you deal with more issues today than you did, I, I believe, when I was in high school. So, uh, it's been great. Love the kids uh, and enjoying the experience. How receptive have they been to really learning the game of baseball, learning the fundamentals? Well, they, you know, the kids that, that I've been for, very fortunate to coach just love baseball. They love the opportunity to be out there every day. I have a hard time getting them off the field. Uh, so, I, I mean, they're very, they're very uh, coachable, which is, you know, a, a coach's dream. And so, you know, uh, it's just making sure they, they understand how to get rest along with that, take days off and stuff like that, because, uh, these kids today are definitely under the uh, scrutiny of social media a whole lot more than I ever was. So uh, dealing with that and helping them to survive that is, uh, has been, is, has been uh, you know, has been difficult at times. How have you helped them to deal with that situation? Well, you know, you know, to, to, to really talk to them about understanding that the game is tough and that when you look on social media that you have to put it into perspective. And that you have to evaluate yourself for yourself, not, you know, the, the 2026 kid who's getting recruited by a major power five school, you know, who's in the eighth grade. You know, you, you can't worry about those things and you can only control the things that you're, you're able to control. And, you know, and it goes back to your faith. I mean, I can't control things that are out of my hands. So, you know, being able to kind of put it into that perspective has been good. Uh, and, and, you know, um, giving them pretty much a, a workload that keeps them as far away from, you know, seeing what everybody else is uh, 
how they're being evaluated and make them evaluate themselves and push hard and, and trust the people that are around them. How did your story in recruitment help them too? Because you weren't a big time guy. Nobody was really around you, but obviously you turned it into a big major league career. Well, I, you know what? Um, unfortunately, I'm considered old now. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> the parents, the parents always understand the, uh, stand the, the, the game. And, you know, and I have kids, you know, something we do now is we read, um, we're in the midst of reading five books as a team. And so each kid has a couple chapters. They have to read uh, certain books. And so we pass it around. And so uh, Mondays and Thursdays, we have, we, we, before our practice starts, we go out and they have to read their two chapter or kind of give, uh, you know, uh, you know, a small version of their two chapters and what it means to them and how it affects them. And, you know, a lot of it's on the mental training and work ethic and the evaluation of their self of, of their self because they're so um, critical of themselves. And you know, it's good that once they kind of go through this, they sit and they talk to their teammates out loud. They understand that they're all in this together, and so it's not as big of a concern. They all understand that they've got to work hard. They understand that the colleges are are um, you know. You know, it's tough. Power five schools to get into, look for a certain type of player. And, you know, and it's okay if you're not. And and allowing them to understand that it's okay uh, has been part of why we read these books. And, and we, we create a uh, team camaraderie that's not just based on, hey, get in the weight room. And which, you know, it's, it's about dealing with the pressures of every day. We practice every day. We have some type of lift uh, and conditioning every day right now uh, with individuals. But you know, it's helping them to ease their way into the next step. But, uh, you know, it's not easy. I, I tell you, I, I don't know how, how a lot of these kids do. I don't know how we would have done it back then if, uh, you know, uh, people would have been able to seen how other kids were doing it and the pressure of getting into college. Because, you know, the pressure of getting into college when I was there was about grades. It was totally about grades. It wasn't a, necessarily about your – you know, South Carolina wasn't going to hear about Billy Wagner. I, I mean, you know, I didn't get that type of attention. So I actually went into Barham and got to to Cape Cod. And that's when uh, the LSUs and the Floridas and the Pepperdines and schools like that started going, hey, why don't you come here? And so, you know, now now they, you know, all the good things that they go through, it, it makes it very tough for these kids to have self-evaluation because, Everybody wants them to come to these camps, and so they go to these camps and they evaluate them so they can get their money. And then they—they—it's just a falsehood that they preach to them. And you know, these poor kids just you know don't understand, you know, how to evaluate themselves. And then they get down, and there's a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety on these kids. And you know, suicide rate in uh, baseball in high school baseball has went up substantially. And you know, uh, and um you know, these colleges and the NCAA and these, they're not making it easier on this. And social media really has uh, played a, a major role in how this is affecting, you know, these kids and what they expect. What do you think the solution would be to all this? Well, I, I mean, travel ball is a great, is a great tool, but it's also uh, a necessary evil because it gets all these kids out in front of people. But I mean, you know, the recruiting age should be different. We shouldn't be trying to recruit an eighth grader who is immature, can't drive, can't make a decision. Parents shouldn't be allowing a 14 and 15 year old to make a decision on <clears throat> their future to a college when they don't even can't, they're not paying bills and they're not driving. So, 
you know, I want kids to grow up and have some type of life, but they need to understand that we, we need to enjoy the game. You know, you can't really blame the college coaches for the process because the process is what it is. But I think the situation of handing out all these um, um, scholarships and then having the ability to, uh, you know, decommit and stuff, you know, it, it, you know, there needs to be a longer grace period. There needs to be a period that you, you can't commit kids, you know, or really talk to these kids until a later date. So everybody's in the same boat, you know, and, and you know, we can have these tournaments, you can stuff, but you, it's just, it's made it very difficult. So everybody thinks of the scholarship and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just, it's been a tough road. I don't know if there's one way to, a perfect way to change it or, you know, but I think the NCAA should probably look into it a little bit better and helping the, the, the college coaches and the recruiting coordinators and how it's affecting the kids of high school. You know, the portal's not helped um, the high school kids now because now the high school kid is behind a JUCO kid. Not that, you know, and most uh, the power five schools will tell you that they would much rather coach a JUCO kid that's already been through the wars and, you know, it's about winning than the development. So, you know, um, you know, it's a difficult road for these kids right now who are pushing for this you know, for these types of scholarships and, and, and desire. And, you know, it, it's, you know, unfortunately we keep telling them, and I shouldn't say unfortunately, what we fortunately keep telling them is that uh, you want to go play baseball, go play where you're wanted. And, you know, uh, D3s, D2s, JUCOs, uh, you know, those are those are gold mines for, for these kids who aren't really understanding that. And, uh, you know, as much as, you know, D1 is a very attractive and super place, I, you know, you, you go into a D1, you better have a terminology and adjustment uh, process that is, you know, already built in. You're not going to be able to go into these places. It's like going into, a, a, you know, minor leagues. It's a workforce situation. And if you're not productive, you don't get development because it's they've got they've got people in other places. And just, you know, they'll just get somebody the next year. And so, you know, the development at that point is very difficult. And it's at a higher level, you know, for these players. And if you're not at that point, you know, for Billy Wagner, Billy Wagner could have went to a D1 school out of high school because I wasn't ready for that. I could have made the adjustments. I was talented but couldn't make adjustments. Coaches would have been so frustrated with me. And so, you know, and I think a lot of these kids, you know, uh, you know, don't understand that they they love the D one, but then they go there and they are not ready to play. I mean, you can look six three, be two twenty, and you can you can be the greatest camp kid in the world, but when it steps on the field and rubber meets the road, if you can't do what needs to be done to win, uh, then you know you're not going to play. And unfortunately, they get mad, they get upset, they transfer, they go to these things, and and you know, to some that's been a great that's been a great tool, but you know, for the high school kid, it's been very difficult because. You know, they, they're they not getting what they want. We go to the PBRs, the perfect game events down in Florida, uh, down in Georgia and, and stuff. And, you know, we're seeing that, you know, there's not quite as many recruiters down there as, as there used to be. I mean, you're, you're looking at – because they're, they're, they've already uh, – the JUCO and the portals have, have made a big difference for them. So, you know, you know, you do still see the 2026. I saw one the other day, a 2027 ranking. I mean, you're <laughs> ranking a 27. I mean, I heard a parent on a, a talk uh, talk about, you know, this is their first year in doing this travel ball, and he found out that his 
son, who's a 2027, is ranked number one. He goes, I don't even know what that means. He goes, I really don't think he's very good at this point. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to hear that because, I mean, how do you rank and how do you do these things, you know, when there's no maturity to it? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a scary process right now for these kids. And it sounds like you could even be losing out on potential major league talent. I mean, in your case, there was there weren't big rankings back then, and you even said yourself you wouldn't be ready for the D1 level. So this system could hurt kids who may have major league talent later but just aren't ready at the moment to go D1 or go to a big school. Well, and yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the way you pass the initial eye test is how big you are, you know, your physicality, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and, you know, your talent at that point. I mean, you know, there's kids today throwing – 90 plus in eighth and ninth grade, you know, that are monsters that are very talented. What if that's as far as it goes, you know, what, I mean, you know, how far, how hard are we going to throw or expect these kids to throw without injury? And I mean, we can blame, you know, training and playing one sport and doing this, but you know, that is pretty much the, the way it is set up. I mean, I hear college coaches all the time talk about how they love the T-sport athlete. Well, we all love T-sport athlete, Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Brian Jordan, those guys were awesome. But the fact is not many of those guys today are going to walk in and play at a D1 level because they don't have the reps. And you can't be a very good high school player and, and stuff if you're not getting reps and, and expect to go there because in high school you're going to seven on sevens. You, you know, it's very difficult. It's not as easy as everybody expects it to be, and you know, and playing basketball and having all these multiple sports because, you know, <clears throat> you just don't have the time. You don't have the reps to really always do that. Now, there are exceptions. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule. There are always going to have guys who are just super talented in that high school area can go do that. I played football and baseball in high school. Uh, you know, we all did these things. But, I mean, um, it, it doesn't always translate to just being a good athlete. And you can't always just get a good athlete. you got to get somebody that has – you know, an IQ uh, knows how to make adjustments and, and just can't live on talent. Talent, you can beat talent through just having a better work ethic, and because it's just it's always been proven that way. How did you balance playing football and baseball? Well, I didn't have social media to worry about. You know, I didn't have. <laughs> you know, my competition was the guys that I was playing against and the guys in in my locker room. Um, you know, I competed against my cousin who was a year older than me and or two years older than me, and, you know, I wanted to be better than him. And so, you know, I wanted to be these guys. You know, I I didn't know what, you know, Tennessee was do doing. You know, I didn't know what Georgia, you know, I, I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't know, have to worry about that, uh, you know. But, I mean, but that, that that's the difference in today's game. And, and, and you know, and, and don't get me wrong, it has helped a ton of kids. You know, it's made a big difference with the scale of, you know, um, in which they've been able to be seen uh, exposure-wise. But it's also, I mean, when you have such a short time to see a kid, it's really easy to mark, mark that kid off as much as put that kid on that list. And, I mean, you have a bad day. Man, you could – I mean, a lot of people, you know, don't see that. I, I mean, they don't see, you know, the behind the scenes. Plus, I mean, you can have a good day. And I'm going to – I tell you, I, I coached a kid. When I younger, he was, we went down to Georgia, and before we got to Georgia, he was like 0 for 18, had not hit a ball, had not done well at all. 
uh, very talented, great player. And he went down there and had, ended up going something like 12 for 16, hit three home runs. I mean, it just right place, right time. <clears throat> but after that, didn't do anything else. Well, he ended up getting a D1 offer and going to play D1 baseball, never play because it, it didn't translate. He played football, he played basketball, didn't have the reps. All these things happen, and it comes back to he's a great athlete, but what am I looking for? And, you know, and I know you're talking, everybody, I guarantee anybody hears this is like, well, you know, we want to be well rounded. Well, I would love to be well rounded as long as we cut out all these tournaments that some of these kids get to go to and some that don't. And, you know, the 707s, and, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't work like it used to, you know. And there's a point where a kid has to make a decision is it going to specialize? And you have to be all in. And unfortunately, when you say all in, there's a point where, maybe that D one doesn't work out and are you willing to play at a small D three school and do well and make your name and dominate that league so that you get the, the more levels that is possible. There's a lot of, you know, I was watching the Arizona fall league because my son plays on in there and in the championship game, the, the uh, pitcher for uh, his team went to Randolph making a division three team, the shortstop for the, uh, the, um, the visiting team uh, played for the Reds, and he was going to – he came from Randolph making the Division three school. I mean, there's two Division three players in the same game in pros. So you can get to the to, to the pros, to the, the big leagues, by going that route. you got to trust the process. And, you know, and it's not – you know, there's a lot of kids that play D1 that don't go pro. You know, and that's, that's – uh, you know, and, and it's just hard. It's so hard to sit there because I know that – you know, there's a lot of uh, different ways to get there. I know that, you know, it seems like I'm beating on a D1, but it's just, you know, it's really, you know, my, my oldest son played D1, my middle son plays D1, but it's really about having an adjustment and being in the right system that fits you. And so, you know, that's what I wish kids could understand. It's it's about what fits you, not what bells and whistles and what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to look like. It's, you know, I want to win a championship and people don't know how awesome that is to win a championship. I missed out on a championship in college, uh, missed out in, in, in pro ball. And, and, but knowing that it's so close and seeing the excitement of other, that's, that's what you're playing for. And when you learn to play for championships and not numbers, you are so much more, it's a much more enjoyable game. It's a, a lot more, uh, 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 there's more, there's a better memory. It's not a job as much as they, it seems to be. How did you feel that you never won a championship yourself? Well, it stinks. I, I won't lie. I always look back and, and wish there were so many things I wish I could have done better. Or, you know, I, I think every athlete who hasn't won or, or got close, uh, you know, feels the same way. I mean, you know, we want to, we want to be able to, to, to win that championship. I mean, there's nothing greater. And I mean, whether I would take I would take a championship over the Hall of Fame in a heartbeat because the ha- winning winning is everything. That's why you play the game. There's no reason to play a game uh, with that has a scoreboard if you're not trying to win. I mean, uh, and, and that's just how we were brought up. Winning was the whole goal. It wasn't how did you do it. It was doing it. And so I, I mean, um, and, and that's what I like. That's why I, I like competing i mean there was you know that that was the 
in gold. You could have a bad game, bad day, but if you looked up there and you won, hey, you, hey, that was the goal. You got tomorrow to play. So that's, you know, baseball, that's what baseball brings to, you know, to my life and to a lot of these kids is because it has a lot of games you can play and you can play it every day. You know, you may not be able to pitch every day, but you'll be able to to play more games. I think that gives you the opportunity to be able to, you know, have a bad game like life, have a bad week in life, and then bounce back. You know, I mean, that's how life is. That's that's life in a nutshell. I mean, ups and downs. How did you bounce back as a closer, like in the major leagues, when you had a blown save or a bad appearance? How did you block that out and come back the next day and pitch? Well, the biggest thing was I had managers early. That, that gave me the opportunity. You've got to have people around you that are willing to, to take that chance on and give you an opportunity. But within that opportunity, you've got to be successful enough that they're willing to go, okay, I can give him another chance because he's, you know, really close to figuring this out. And, you know, Larry Dirk was huge for me. Um, if Larry Durker doesn't give me the opportunity to close and I'm a starter, I'm probably out of the league way earlier. I, you know, you know, I didn't have starting stuff. I had a power arm. I had, good stuff but i mean it wasn't you know it wasn't a repeatable thing i didn't have three super pitches i didn't you know it was just a it, it, but i could go out there and go two innings and, and really change change the game i could go through the lineup points and change the game it was where you know but larry durker gave me the opportunity to fail you know I, and i had you know i had some bad week i'd have a bad week and he kept me out there or you know he let me learn that role and also, I had a great teams that picked me up. I blew a save. They won the game. And so that was something that allowed me to keep going out there. You know, uh, yeah, you know, going back to the win, winning was the most important thing. And, you know, the thing about being a closer that I loved the most was the ability to go out every day and possibly play and compete. And so, you know, you have a bad day, you have a bad series, you you could be right back out there. And that was the, the fun part of the game for me. And, you just learn through time and the experience that, you know, you know, you, you're, you're going to have those bad days. And I mean, I, I, so many times, you know, you, you look at my career or these guys who've had these great careers, how many stretches where you have 30, 35 outings where you don't give up a run or you don't give up um, or you get a save. And then, you know, you're going to have a bad week and you're going to have a bad series. And when that happens, you know, what, what, automatically ends up happening is everybody goes, Oh, he's not very good. You know, he's really struggling, <laughs> but the week, you know, a 35, but that's how the game is. And so you learn that through the experience of, of failing. I mean, Mariano, I mean, there's no closers that went through there that didn't have a bad series, have a bad week, have, have situations to, to, to fall back on and know, well, I've been there, done that. I mean, that's, you know, and the luxury for the closers that have had longevity is they've had guys who picked them up and, you know, a closer to pick up a win is usually not a good thing. You know, a reliever getting a win is not a good thing. But, you know, if you're able to get out there and have a winning record at the end of your career as a reliever, your team has picked you up. And so being part of a good team makes a good closer, too. And so they pick each other up. Billy Wagner here on Sports Talk Chicago. Billy, what do you make your Hall of Fame case? I, I I don't know. I mean, you're you're really asking me something of me that I, I'm not comfortable with because, you know, I, I my thought of Hall of Fame is um, all based on numbers, and so I I can't do nothing about the numbers that are out there. Uh, it it's 
you know, I don't, I can't, I, I just, I don't know how to build my case when the case is based on numbers. And if my numbers are what everybody talks about, it, you know, it becomes, you know, I, I really don't know where that should, uh, you know, how to take that thing. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, you know, I don't want to say that it's a personal thing because I mean, you really can't say that I wasn't good if, if my numbers are what they are. I, I don't, I, you know, I mean, it's not by, it's a, not an unbiased uh, vote. If you're voting and saying that it's, you know, numbers, it's not, it, it's obviously, it's a like, not like dislike. I mean, you know, uh, the only thing that I can say is I, you know, you know, I've always been accountable for good, bad, indifferent. Uh, you know, as I took responsibility for my actions, I, you know, was always there for my locker to, to present the, you know, the good and the bad with the interviews, uh, you know, uh, you know, but uh, numbers wise, there's no case to be made for the Hall of Fame if we're going to talk about numbers. I mean, if you want to talk about my sainthood and if I should be in there because of, uh how politically correct I was all the time in an interview or what, what I did, then, then I'm sure there's, I shouldn't be in there. I would, you know, but I, I don't think there was ever anyone that didn't enjoy standing in my locker waiting for an interview because I was always there giving one. And uh, whether you liked it or not, I was there. And, you know, I learned that from Xavier Hernandez who pretty much from the day I stepped into the big leagues, made sure that I, I stood there good, bad, and whatever. And if I gave up a game winning home run, I was there. If I, you know, if I got a save, then they was there. I was there. It was, you know, just the way it was. So I don't know what case to make for the hall of fame, because I think the case has already been made when I retired and, you know, uh, you know, I just, I'm not sure what to say. Why do you think you're not in yet? Do you think your interactions with the media have hurt your candidacy? Well, I don't get very many West Coast votes, I believe. I think that's that's not and, – and that might be just because they didn't see me very much. I don't know. And, you know, uh, I, I don't – I really don't know. I mean, um, there's there's New York voters who are guys who don't vote for me. There's uh, – you know, I, you know, whether you like me or you don't like me, the numbers support what's going on. Uh, I know that there's a lot to say that relievers and closers shouldn't be in and things like that but i also see the same articles that they've written when the team blows a save and how that bullpen and that closer and stuff so i i mean i think it's you know you know i, I think it's kind of wishy-washy at times how how we're viewed um you know i would have you know you know I, I don't think the standards are the same for every every person i know that uh, there's rumors spread about each player that are untrue that that gets to the media. But most of the media I've never talked to. I, I don't know most of the the people that vote today. They I don't know if they know me. I don't know if they saw me pitch. I don't know if they you know the older guys or whatever. I mean, uh, but <clears throat> you know I, I don't know what what the particular reason is. But it, it, we all know that it's not the numbers. I mean, some of your numbers are better than Trevor Hoffman and even Mariano Rivera on a rate basis. Some of your peers, both guys in the Hall of Fame, what's your reaction to that? Well, they, they're, you know, their numbers speak volumes. They're numbers, right? I mean, I don't think Mariano, I don't think any of us sit there and go, well, Mariano's really not that good. You know, I don't <laughs> think there's anybody quite that, that stupid, right? Um, yeah, I think that what's amazing is that, you know, Trevor 
didn't get really the response that he, he should have gotten. He got he's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest ever to play. And I'm I mean, champ no championships, but you know, very successful. I mean, you know, I'm not sure where where we we look for those things. I mean, who, um, one of my close friends, Franco, John Franco. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, Big Daddy. I mean, you look at Big Daddy. He was, it took him forever to get in there. And I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's just you know a, a path that some of us, you know, have to go through. Uh, you know, Dale Murphy. Hopefully, Dale will get in there this year. I mean, Fred McGriff. I mean, all the, there are so many guys that have supporting numbers to get in there. And, and, you know, some of us just don't get viewed the same way as others. And, you know, unfortunately it's, it's not a bi- it's not an unbiased thing. It's a very biased uh, report on people. Why do you think that is? Why is there so much bias? Why do guys not get viewed fairly in your opinion? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we're not, you know, I didn't play on the West coast as much. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't very self-promoting. I don't know. I just, I mean, I wasn't a very, I don't, I don't know. I just think there's guys, I mean, you know, there's just certain guys that people are attracted to. I mean, uh, um, but you know, regardless of whether you like somebody or didn't like them personally, it's, it's a numbers game that you're, you're dealing with. And so unfortunately, you know, you know, I, I've always tried to be accountable and accessible to every interview and I don't think there's ever a guy who could come to me and go, well, you know, you weren't very accessible to me uh, because I was at Malacca every day and, you know, you may not have liked what I had to say, but I was there to say it. And, uh, you know, my numbers speak to speak, you know, about my talent, what I did on the game, which you're supposed to be, uh, uh, you know, critiqued on, you know, and that's the unbiased view. I mean, uh, you know, some days, you you know, you don't have a good day, but it's, you know, I know there's a lot of times that I didn't play well in certain places, but the whole beats the few. And so, you know, who knows? I mean, this game has, uh, it's changed so much. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, when my time's over, I don't know if there's a closer to get in uh, the Hall of Fame. I don't know if they'll ever be abused. I mean, Kenley Jackson, who's awesome, you know, um, Guys like that. I mean, the middle relievers. I mean, they've, they, there's so many of those guys that should be in the, the, uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, so, I mean, I, maybe, you know, with DH is now being considered position closers will be considered position and, and be looked at a little bit different. So you just never, I just don't know. I don't know where that goes. You guys, uh, know, uh, you've probably heard from more guys about why I shouldn't be in than, than I should. So I, I don't know. The writers that I've had on mostly have told me you deserve to be in. And I always mention that I've had you on my program. We've talked about this at length. They always say you do, yet the numbers for some reason just don't translate based on voting. Do you think at some point you will get, though, to 75%? you got three years left on your ballot. Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't see that being uh, a way in. I, I don't think that uh, – I think I'll be close, but I don't think I'll get in. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know – you know, I, you know, I'll get on that veterans committee or something like that and be fortunate for that. But I, I mean, you know, I've, there's, you know, no matter how you get in, you get in and it's awesome. I, I think, you know, I, it's awesome to hear my peers talk about me. That that's what I, I like because 
those were the ones in the trenches. You know, those are the guys you you battled every day. You know, I, I love hearing, you know, Nolan Ryan say that I had the best fastball he'd ever seen. I love hearing Derek Jeter sit there and talk about how hard it was to face me. I, I love hearing those things because those are the guys who, at the end of the day, whether you make the Hall of Fame or not, are the guys that you respect. I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of great memories about the guys who were very difficult for me, uh, and, and we enjoyed that battle. And, you know, the, the, the situations, the towns, the, the being in Philadelphia and immature time for myself and, uh, and, and going to New York and battling through something I'd never been through and, and learning from it, and, you know, playing for a Bobby Cox. Those are memories and knowing what Chipper Jones and those those guys in that dugout and that in that locker room knew what I brought every day. There wasn't a day that I didn't come prepared, ready to compete every day. And so those guys know what I'm about. They know what I what I how hard I've worked. They know in their minds what I just they like me or not, deserve or don't deserve. So uh, you know, and that's that's who that's who we can really, you know, I, I have to take in and I think a little bit more. That's that's what I played for anyway. What would it mean to you to get in? Well, I mean, at this point, I mean, we all play, you know, you, there's a point in your career where you start to kind of see that there's a possibility that you could be recognized in, in a in a facet that's, you know, almost un, unthinkable. I mean, when you think about it as a kid and you're looking back and you're you've seen guys like Nolan, you've seen guys like uh, uh, you know, uh Robin Yao, guys that Paul Molitors, the guys that have put in their time, you know, the Mike Schmitz, the, you know, those guys, when you sit back and see those guys, and then you see the guys that you play with, like Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez and Tom Glavin, uh, that you pitched behind, uh, you, you see that, you know, you start to kind of, you, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, you can't help but, you know, feel that and, and get excited about that. But I mean, I think this time of the year is always the toughest because there's nothing I can really do anymore, right? And and so you, you, you can preach your case, but I can't change my stats and I can't go back and repitch a game and I can't, you know, I can't change minds by how I played. Um, so, you know, the excitement is still there. It's always a hard, it's a harsh reality when when you and social media to go out there and you start reading, you know how you shouldn't be in there and, and these things. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, that's part of the business, but, uh, uh, you know, it's a fun time. It's a scary time uh, as far as, you know, uh, I'm sure in three years, I, you know, I'm going to be heartbroken that, you know, it didn't happen. But I also know that, uh, you know, I've been very lucky and very fortunate to, to be on the ballot this long, to make jumps, to have a lot of support that I didn't know that I had. You know, and 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 just the outpouring of people when I've, I've made it to games, and just you know, so I'm very blessed in a lot of ways to to know that um, you know that that I spent a good career and I've had a, a, a good run, and you know, um, you know, I you know, there's no doubt that I practiced a, you know somewhat of a Hall of Fame speech. I, I think I've said that before. I mean, we all have because that's you know to stand up there and talk about the game that you've loved and been passionate about for your whole life and, you know, the sacrifice and commitment you've made to this game and, and for it to give back in that way would be an honor that I, I, I only few know, 
And so, you know, to be able to stand up there with my idols and my heroes, you know, uh, you know, it's just, it would be, it would be, you know, something as an individual that I don't think you can mark in a, in a, in, in any other way. More to come with Billy Wagner in just a moment. Stay tuned. Vince Yance, Sports Talk Chicago. Billy, before we finish up today, one more question for you. How's your faith impacted not just your baseball career, but also your life? Well, I'm five foot ten. I was a hundred and nothing. I came from a Division three school. I came from a broken home. Uh, there's not much upside looking at me when I first started out. You know, the only person that believed in me was my mom, my my, and, and my 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 Lord. He was the only one that understood what was going to be ahead of me. And so when, you know he he put me on that path and he gave me the strength to endure uh some of the things that you know were setbacks for others he he allowed me to jump by being i went from being a right-hander to a left-hander uh i think those are um you know things that i've been blessed for with because it's not something i had to have faith in it was something that god showed me right away and so my faith was proven by what he was, he allowed me to do. And so to go out and say, Hey, there, there's five foot, nothing, hundred pounds of nothing is going to go out there and pitch on a huge, um, uh, pedestal and he's going to go compete against the best, um, shows that anything's possible. And he gave me that opportunity so that I would be a light to a high school kid who needs to know that it's possible. And that for the kid who comes through the broken home to the kid that, uh, has all these multiple things that go on in their life that, you know, God is the path. He is the future. He is what's going to give you, you know, he is going to open the doors when the windows are closed or open the windows when the doors are closed. He is the only light and path to get you to where you want to be. I was blessed and he's used, he's helped me use my pistol with young kids and um, whether I make the hall of fame or whether I don't, you know, I've been so blessed so many times that I, you know, I deserve nothing and I'm so blessed to have his grace on my life with my family, my kids, that, that, you know, it's easier for me to sit there and go and look at the bigger picture than the small window of saying that people view me in a certain way. I know my God loves me and that he has blessed me with more things than I ever deserve. Well, Billy, thank you so much for joining me. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, best wishes for this Hall of Fame circuit. We've got to catch up again. And uh, best wishes yep. as well, coaching, for sure, this season. Uh, I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me. Great talk there with Billy Wagner. That'll do it for us today. You're on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Billy Wagner himself and all of you for tuning into today's program. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zagluel. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. So long, everyone. No! No! Never the turtles!